HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. It's our 14th year, and uh, we're very happy to be here on Heritage Radio Network. Join us and become a member, heritageradionetwork.org. So one of our favorite guests has, has something great coming up, and we're trying to squeeze this in before November 4th, the Learn to Homebrew, Homebrew Day. So um, here's my guest, Julia Hertz. Julia, give a quick intro. Many many of our listeners know you, but they you've done so much in the last two years since we last talked. Yeah, I would say that if if I don't know you or you don't know me, let's fix that. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome uh, to everyone listening. Uh, good beers to you. And I'm Julia Hers, the executive director of the American Homebrewers Association. And Jimmy is kind enough to let us talk about Learn to Homebrew Day, November 4th, which frankly should be all year long. So it doesn't matter when you're listening to this, but, you know, we got some good stuff going on. Yes, we do. All right. Well, Julia, we, we, we've known you for a long time. Brewers Association, accomplished educator, and, and, and many things in the world of craft beer. Two years ago, it was a January 2022 Episode 613, for those of you following, we had Julia on. It was called Brew On, and she she had recently become the executive director of the American Homebrew Association. So let's start by, you know, two years have gone by. I know you've got your hands in it, and there's a lot of exciting things happening. So let's recap the last two years. I mean, you've really made a difference in this organization. Well, glad to hear that. And I think every day is another day under an incredible body of work. And that body of work is the American Homebrewers Association, Zymergy Magazine, homebrewersassociation.org, and our annual homebrew holidays like Learn to Homebrew Day on November 4th. And so I'm now in the ecosystem of that. I've I've been in, in a career in beer, but frankly, I started before the career as a hobbyist, and I, I still remain a home fermenter to, to today to date. 
and what a fun uh, practice it is. So we deliver and, and I work hard to make sure you all are aware as AHA members what you can access. And it has everything to do from validated homebrew recipes from national homebrew competition, uh, gold medal winners, which we host that to recipes to get you to try new things like the Learn to Homebrew Day smash beer recipes, smash meaning single malt, single hop. And it's all about reasons and rewards to brew, whether you're in beer in the biz or in beer just for sensory reward and enjoyment. It's an amazing community. And one of the ways that things are enhanced is by homebrewing. And we bring people to the table to do that in, in, in a way that no other organization has and does. No, it's amazing. You know, years ago when we were first starting, you know, it seemed like homebrewing was the avenue for, for, for people when they were just hoping to open a brewery. But now when you say the word hobby, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's okay to have a hobby, isn't it? <laughs> it should be. We all should have pastimes that help bring us renewal, learning, growth, exploration, expanded community that are just for fun. And you want to talk about where the fun in beer is, it's in brewing on your own. It's experimenting. It's taking a established, maybe old world beer style and giving it your own personal twist. It's experimenting with different types of yeast or different types of fermentables. And yeah, it's all about fun. And I think it should be a pastime for anyone that is into, into beverage and food. Great. When you first started uh, about a little, little over two years ago, right? Um, yep. What were some of the... Did you have to make changes or are you just amplifying the messaging? You know, what, what, what have you been really got your teeth into, especially in the beginning? Sure. So some of the focus when you come into a national organization that has 30,000 plus members, which we still do today, is getting to know the resources and benefits and then drilling down on what we can continue to do great. Uh, and evolve. For example, we added Zymergy Live. Zymergy is the main magazine. It is the literally the publication that you get as an American Homebrewers Association. It's been published since 1978. And now we have a monthly webinar exclusive to AHA members. We also uh, evolved a homebrew holiday in August that we have every year, Mead Day, to now Home Fermentation Day. So we're giving people uh, recipes, not just for brewing beer, not just for brewing cider and mead, which all of those have such great reward to do. But we, if you're brewing any of those, know you already then have the equipment to do everything from canning to cheese making to fermenting hot sauce to kombucha to kimchi to miso, and the list goes on and on. So in the last two years, we continue to expand the horizon of what anyone's mindset is in being a home brewer. And frankly, being a home brewer means fermenting at home. And so if you're going to ferment at home, we want to give you even more enjoyment by reminding you that you don't just um, need to focus on beer. You certainly can, but there's all sorts of other things to ferment that then expand your awareness on uh, what the world is like in that arena. Well, uh, Bud Zymergy Magazine, it's pretty exciting that you have a cover uh, by M. M. Souter from Pints and Panels. Absolutely. Yeah, Jimmy's referencing our most recent issue. And this issue, it's the theme is homebrewing for a cause. Because when you're a homebrewer, and that pastime is kind of one of the things you do throughout the year, uh, you often give your beer to others. And we don't just give our beers to others for feedback. 
we often give our beers to others to help them feel uh, a more intimate connection with us in their in their world. Uh, I you know bring beers to everything from births of babies to celebrate to funerals to uh, neighborhood celebrations, right? To homebrew competitions from the Beer Judge Certification Program to get feedback. And so we give away our beer as a cause for other causes, just like craft brewers to do in such a prolific way. Well, that's really great. When you mentioned the Home Fermentation Day, I, I think about how at one time there, there were so many, not so many, but the, there were important homebrew shops and, and, and other, there might've been an old winemaking shop you know, in the early days where people got their yeast and, you know, casks or something. Um, you know, I know on your website you have resources, um, and I know there's a lot of great ways to order online. Are there a lot of stores still where you can get these supplies, or, or, or is really online the way to go? And we can talk about those well, stores, too, because I know that in your um, annual awards, you, you do recognize the best homebrew shops and things like that. Yeah, so American Homebrewers Association website, homebrewersassociation.org, has the most prolific and updated list of homebrew shops and homebrew clubs. Uh, homebrew shops in the U.S. estimated to be about 600 of them. Those are brick and mortar. And look, if you're looking to purchase ingredients, uh, and, and by the way, AHA has multiple homebrew shops for members that offer discounts just by being an AHA member. You want to go to your local homebrew shop. The advantage of that is you get a real person that is in person and helping you navigate your tastes and preferences for, say, a base recipe and where you might want to evolve it. Uh, talking to them about any challenges you might have had in a recent batch of beer and really seeing in person what's available to you. Online shopping is also absolutely, I mean, we're all kind of the Amazon generation now, a way that a lot of homebrewers purchase. But our, our suggestion is purchase both in person and if you want to shop online, there's some amazing providers. And you'll find all that on homebrewersassociation.org, literally listed by state and, and country. Yeah, no, that, that, it's exciting. I love that you mentioned the resources. Um, for Learn to Homebrew Day itself, um, so, so what's your program for that day? Is, is it awareness, um, their online, you know, programs or tutorials? Or the, the ask for Learn to Homebrew Day on November 4th is to get together with others or just yourself and learn how to brew either a new recipe because you're an advanced brewer or learn how to brew for the first time. And we published um, multiple recipes that are available to you. This year, I mentioned we're focusing on smash beers, single malt and single hop is what that stands for. So we've got a sensory Blondale recipe for you that is scripted in a one gallon version. So very accessible. You can scale it up if you want to brew five to 10 gallons. A lot of homebrewers brew five gallons or less. And then we've also got a recipe called um, Super Smash, and it's more of kind of a, a, a pale ale. A uh, lot of flexibility in these two beers, but the real ease is, is it's one malt and one type of hop. So it's not a very complex proposition. And that's really good because Learn to Humber Day is about being the beginner in the uh, approach to it. Uh, but you can make things as advanced or as simple as you really want, just like baking and cooking and, and brewing, too. 
You know, I, I've never really brewed before. I've sat in on brews. <laughs> time to change that. I'll fly to New York. We'll get you, we'll get you taken care of. I did. One time I sat in on the, the beer 101 class with John Lapolia at, at a Bitter and Esther's in Brooklyn. And it, it nice. focused a lot on sanitation. So, you know, yeah. you were working on his system, like his, his three barrel system. And uh, I, I kind of lost it with the sanitation. <laughs> You know, anyone that wants to start home brewing can, as I said, you can have it be as complex or simple as you want. There's stovetop brewing. You can watch a movie or, or, you know, the most recent game on TV if it's in view of your kitchen and brew. And you basically get a beginner kit. It comes with everything you need. Pre-packaged yeast that's viable and ready to add to your batch. You, you're diluting your malts and maybe doing steeping grains. And it has a series of directions and your hops and the like. And then you just follow the directions and it also comes with sanitation steps on what to do. And it usually comes with sanitation fluid or uh, dried uh, packets that you will dilute. So you have sanitizer liquid, you can also use bleach. There's so many different things. If you're canning, for example, you already realize the, the need for sanitation. And most sanitation when you're brewing comes from the heat applied. The whole reason we boil is not just for conversion, of getting a process set up for the yeast to access sugars from our malted grains, but it's also to sanitize your your batch of beer before you lay it down to ferment. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm I would definitely do it that way myself. There's something okay. exciting about going to a shop like Bitter Nesters, where, where he has a, you know a, a decent sized system, and you really do feel like you're you're learning to brew the way almost like a pro. But, um, a, a thousand percent. And you can do it like a pro at home with an all electric system, very accessible. The price is uh, right in so many ways compared to many years ago. App based brewing, controlled fermentation temperatures. It's it's off the charts how cool it is and how inexpensive it is to do the full board like you're a little pro brewery at home. And you can do stovetop, as I mentioned. You can do patio brewing with. Um, uh, you know, fire and propane burners and gravity fed system. Uh, it's nice to brew outside because if it gets messy, you can just hose it down. So there's garage brewing, there's patio brewing, there's stovetop brewing. And all it takes is the desire of the brewer and what you want to make. You know, it, it, as a home brewer, it, I, I, I like to follow Lars Garshall of, of Norway. He, you know, he writes about the historic Norwegian farmhouse brewing. And yes. it, I think he, he considers that homebrew. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about th those techniques and, and if it's replicable uh, for, for a homebrewer. Well, anything's rec able to be recreated on the home level based on your uh, desire and equipment. Um, when it comes to farmhouse brewing, the reason that that term is around is because Great brewing nations like Norway, Belgium, and the like, they were brewing in the barn on the farm, right? And they were, take Cezanne for, as an example style from the, the great brewing nation of Belgium, you know, they were brewing in the summer, summer season of Cezanne, and, and brewing that for the farmhouse workers and, and giving the farmhouse workers something to do when harvest was over, or they had uh, dried uh, malted barley or grains that had been converted. And, and the reason you do that is because you've got space to brew in that you know, barn on the farm. And you want to pay attention to what flavors you want. And if you are 
brewing in the open air, you can literally allow for, and this is where the cosmos, Jimmy, and the universe <laughs> comes into brewing. You can allow for the flavors that exist from wild yeast, right? And, and open air fermentation to impart flavors in your beer, or you can be very controlled. You brought up contamination uh, steps. You can be very controlled where you don't allow any influence for anything except for what you intentionally put into that beer. So yeah, there's a lot of old world uh, abilities to add flavor, and it just depends on what you're after. No, it, it, it's exciting. You think about all the all the opportunities. Um, you know, in the, in the early days, again, early days could be 20 years ago, 15 years ago. You know, I remember just in New York, there were a handful of, of homebrew clubs. Well, one of them, the Malt and Barley Appreciation Society, the New York City Homebrewers Guild, were, uh, I know that guys like Garrett Oliver were first brewing and in those and we recently had a show where we were talking about the earlier days of 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 new york city before there were a lot of new breweries and so many of the brewers that we know that was their one outlet was being in a homebrew club you know uh, sharing their beers and, and tasting because there weren't even that many breweries they could work in um I, i'm i'm thinking about di different clubs that that have been in your you know your your homebrew con um your annual awards and um, tell us what the annual awards are, because I get confused. There's so many great beer awards, but I keep seeing so many people I know winning at, at your homebrew awards. So National Homebrew Competition is the world's largest homebrew competition, hands down. And the AHA, we, we run that for 40 plus years. And it's an annual competition. Start brewing now. Stay tuned to the schedule for entries in 2024. If you enter the National Homebrew Competition, you're very wise because you're going to be judged by some of the countries and worlds, frankly, best judges. And you are competing head to head if you make it past first round with give or take 10 regions of the country that have also had first round to be then judged in the final round. Um, so if you win a medal at the National Homebrew Competition, it's true bragging rights to say you make one of the, if not the best examples of a beer style um, in, the, in the world. So I would say no matter what, when you brew, you want others to give you feedback. And one way to do that is entering competitions like the National Homebrew Competition and any one of the Beer Judge Certification Program AHA sanctioned competitions that happen throughout the year. And back to homebrewassociation.org, uh, not just a list of all the homebrew clubs in the US, which there's 2000 plus, who will be glad to give you feedback on your beer, uh, but the competition schedule is on our website and, and the local, regional and national competitions are the best way to really drill down on making a recipe, refining it, and then making it world-class. No, it's great. I, I, I just saw that recently, whenever the awards were, were issued for this year, uh, New York City Homebrewers Guild had a couple members that, that won, which is always exciting, but it's also exciting that they post about it. Yes. Yeah. Because it's like I said, it's it's true, true bragging rights. Yeah. And I remember uh, Bitter and Esther's a few years ago won uh, Best Homebrew Shop. Th that must be, um, talk about bragging rights. I mean, being, winning for Best Homebrew Shop in the fact that there are still homebrew shops, you know. Um, can you talk about that category? Because I, I, I think that that's a really important place for people is, is to have a homebrew shop. 
a thousand percent. Um, think of fly fishing, for example, across the country. You're not just going to go into a hardware store, although you can, and get a, a fishing pole, right? <laughs> you're going to, if you really want to be more advanced, you're going to look for your fly fishing shop. And there, and there's so many. That's the same with homebrew shops across the U.S. And as I mentioned, there's 600 plus in our database on homebrewersassociation.org. And these are the brick and mortar locations that are mom and pops that really know the practice of homebrewing that often are hosting classes and gatherings to take you to the next step, or at least coaching you behind the scenes when they provide you a recipe or a kit for your ingredients on how to get the best beer. And what's neat, Jimmy, you kind of bring up the past of, of beer and craft beer and, and homebrewing is the infrastructure is there now. So if you were just to start to get into homebrewing today, you don't have to scratch your way to the information that you need homebrewersassociation.org and AHA, you join or renew, we give you a free book from any, our 60 plus book uh, title collection from Brewers Publications right when you join. Uh, so don't miss out on that. And so the information is there on websites, in our magazines like Zymergy and the shops. So I think it's about uh, saying that today the infrastructure is there, definitely based on the times for all small indie businesses. Small businesses are having a harder time um, but they're the ones, the homebrew shops that are keeping their doors open and bringing the community together for homebrewing. And they're the ones, frankly, that have advanced homebrewing to the level that helped many professional brewers today learn and iterate and, in, you know, invent what they wanted to create on the pro side. And they're still delivering that today, day in and day out. Are, are there any homebrew shops near you or that, that you can recommend in Colorado? Oh, yeah. Well, I know, you know, Heritage Radio Network, Jimmy, and your your body of work and all your shows, you have a, a global audience. Uh, but Jimmy's right. I'm in Boulder, Colorado here and um, northern uh, northern Colorado homebrew supply, which is attached to Vision Quest Brewing, is a great one. Um, I'm doing, frankly, for Learn to Homebrew Day, I'll be doing an in-person demo beer at the Brew Hut in um, Aurora, Colorado, near Denver. There are so many shops that are doing activities on November 4th and brew-ins, we call it, where people just bring their equipment to the shop and all brew together or gathering at breweries or homebrewers' homes. And brewing together is one of the more fun things to do. Plus, I'm a big fan of mobile brewing because when you really want to challenge yourself, you say, let's take the equipment on the road <laughs> and, see, and see what you might miss or have forgotten at home. And then you have to MacGyver it and figure out how to still pull the batch off and the brew day off, and, and that's easy enough to do. Well, that sounds like fun. Are you talking about putting in the back of your pickup truck and driving around? Totally. Um, one of my Zymergy columns that you can see on homebrewassociation.org talks specifically about mobile brewing. I have a pop-up camper, Jimmy. It's an A-liner camper where it's kind of A-frame, and uh, my my minivan pulls it immediately. Uh, people are like, how's that happen? I don't know. It, it <laughs> still gets pulled along. And so I have brewed on my in and out stove, which is just your typical two burner camper stove connected to propane that you can brew in the camper or outside the camper. And I've done both. And I've done one gallon all grain brew in a bag. That means your, your kettle is both a mash tun and a boil kettle by virtue of having a big bag that you can then pull the grains out. That's your mash. And then the grains are out and the liquid left is what you boil. And wow, it's easy enough to do all grain, one gallon, and you can do it anywhere. Mobile brewing is a thing and it's super fun. That sounds really cool. Uh, keep telling me more about Colorado because, you know, with you guys, Charlie Papazian, you know, uh, it's some, in some sense, the cradle of, of, you know, modern craft beer. 
Love that. Cradle of Modern Craft Beer. And I'm sensitive to all the pride in so many of the states, all the states, frankly. But Colorado, home to the Brewers Association, who's the parent organization of the American Home Brewers Association, also home to Great American Beer Festival that we on the AHA and BA side host every year. Uh, it's a hotbed of, of innovation and breweries. And I would say that anywhere in Colorado you go and um, now uh, Senator Hickenlooper, who is former governor, uh, he calls Colorado the Munich of the West. <laughs> and I believe it because I live here and I know that. And innovations like, um, you know, craft beer in cans, which was not a normal proposition. It was only the, the big international conglomerates that used to can their beer because it wasn't accessible. That came from Colorado, right? Oscar Blues Brewery started that. You've got, um, you've got uh, I think, a great divide and, you know, Yeti, the, the, the amazing stout uh, that really just kind of set off a revolution in, in, in beer styles. I think about Dell Brewing and their IPA, India Pale Ale out of Fort Collins, that really taught a lot of people what a balanced, nuanced um, India Pale Ale could be about. So a lot of innovation in my state. I'm lucky enough to be on Colorado in Colorado's front range. And yeah, I love where I live and I'm sticking to that story. No, it's great. We were talking about the, the, the kits, you know, also 10, 12, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, there were these kids in New York, they had a thing called Brooklyn Brew Shop and, and, and they, they had a kit that, that you could buy and they had it in Barnes and Nobles and other places when there were still bookstores. Um, and I'm, I'm only mentioning them because I, I, I followed them a lot and some of the things they were doing, they had uh, recipes based on beers that, that, that they liked you know, from breweries. And they also eventually got into um, different types of ferment fermentation kits. And I don't even know if they're still around, but- um, They are, they are. They are, yeah. So um, I just was thinking again about this arc of, of modern home brewing, you know, the last 12, 15 years, uh, if you want to say any more about it, because I like that you're going into fermentation. I think that, um, I I feel like you've nailed it because- you know, all the things you mentioned from kimchi to hot sauce to, to cheese making and sourdough, they're all kind of in the same family, aren't they? People that like to, to do those things will also like to make beer, conversely. I would agree. And it's a very rewarding activity to me, especially, and I, I've been homebrewing for decades now, uh, not just the brew day, but the day of constructing my recipe, then the brew day, then two weeks later, give or take, uh, either transferring to secondary or, or queuing things up to clarify my beer and getting ready to bottle or, or can or keg it. And the same thing goes, and you talk about the modern version of homebrewing with today's exploration where we're seeing more people talking and making cider. We're seeing more mead absolutely on the map and, and come to be, fermented honey wine that is. And so I would say in the modern version of what homebrewing is contributing to the whole beer movement and frankly, food and beverage, is still the ability to innovate, collaborate. Um, you, you talk about uh, one way that homebrewers have influenced the, the pro beer scene is you'll see competitions, including at the Great American Beer Festival, called Pro-Am competition, where a pro brewer and a home brewer collaborate on a beer. And those are some of the hottest, best beers to try because that's pro brewer remembering in their brain how to play more, not as much worried about the brew house inventory and you know what's what's got to go go out the door for sales. So I would say that homebrewers are still really um, taking beer to a new place, 
but like you point out, Jimmy, but then also helping us explore in other avenues. Um, I'm presented with many wacky things from homebrewers that are, say, using furraging. Furraging is such a great way to incorporate into your fermentation practice, uh, whether it is adding furraged uh, ingredients to your beers. I've added wild plums picked down the street five minutes from my house in Lyons. <laughs> Uh, choke cherries that grew in my backyard that Mother Nature, Jimmy, put that bush there and added it to a Baltic porter that then became a, a choke cherry Baltic red, right? So foraging is great. And then we can also ferment those with not malted barley, but with other types of uh, additions too. And the list goes on and on to types of botanical beers or botanical beverages. And just exploring with what's around you puts you even more in touch with the beverage itself if you're if you're sourcing some of your own ingredients. Well, now that this is the exciting part. Thing as I walk walk down the street, what what I could brew with. Um, right. Let, let's stay on this topic. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Hi, listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's our 14th year. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Support us. Become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm talking with Julia Herz of the American Homebrew Association. And coming up November 4th, Learn to Homebrew Day. So, Julia, you're talking about foraging and go going down the street, finding choke cherries in your yard and, and other things. Um, th that takes me back to some of the er early homebrew meetings I was at, uh, whether they were talking about things like spruce or pine needles, ginger, um, dandelion, um, it, it seems like the possibilities for adding ingredients is, is endless, isn't it? It really is. And it's paying attention to what those ingredients will bring to the table. There's a book actually that we publish. And again, if you join or renew, you can get it. You can request it for free. Uh, is Sacred Herbal and Healing Beers by Stephen Bruner. And that book documents so many beers pre-industrial revolution for our country, the United States. And it talks about some of the ingredients that Jimmy's bringing up and those Gruet style beers where pre-1400s, the, the discovery of the wonderful flour and the bittering agents and flavoring agents and terpenes and, um, and balancing aromatics from hops had yet to be discovered. So many beers were using other things to bring bitterness, for example, to the table to balance the residual sugar from um, barley. Uh, and those are Gruet beers. And, and you can find so much documented on that. And you can throw into beer other things besides hops or with hops to help balance the, the barley and work in synergy and find echoes and bridges to the barley 
that are, are just extremely fun. Think about American style hops. And if you're aware of what American style hops bring to the table, I talk about the forest and I talk about the tropics, right? Those are kind of two different travel lanes to go in for flavor profiles for American hops, at least. The forest would be spruce, juniper, pine. You find those types of flavors when you work with American hops or the tropics like clementine, tangerines, guava, pineapple, etc. We can think about those flavors and bring actual fruit or spices or botanicals to the mix that do what hops already are doing to complement them or replace hops. And then you have an entirely different type of beer that frankly you're tailoring to your taste and just might be the next lightning in a bottle. You never know. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you can still play when you're a home brewer. I remember, gosh, again, so many years ago, 13, 14 years ago, Green Flash and St. Fulian of, of Belgium had done a series of collabs. And when when the, the Belgian brewers came to California, they, they found wild fennel growing on the side of the highway. <laughs> and and that's what they incorporated into that beer. And, and I love hearing those stories. I'll tell you, Jimmy, I was just brewing in um, Indiana with a American Homebrew Association member that found a geocached hose clamp ring. A hose <laughs> clamp is a, you're laughing because you love this. It's a <laughs> clamp that you would use to attach vinyl tubing to a keg as a home brewer so you can dispense your beer. I have geocached my hose clamp ring or a version of it in multiple areas of the country. And when somebody has found that ring, I then come to brew with them. Well, I brewed with Andrew Ackers and his wife in Indiana because I made good on him finding my host clamp ring at a stadium during Indiana Brewers Cup at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. And what we brewed incorporated his wife Mary's grandma's rhubarb. So we talked about collaborating on a beer, maybe a triple, maybe a saison, right? And, and landed on a beer base that was going to work well with that fruit. And then the rhubarb was from a very meaningful place, Mary's grandma's garden. And the fact that that rhubarb was, I tasted it, it was going to bring like um, some acidity, some bright, beautiful colors, right? Some more um, herbaceousness from uh, kind of the vegetal matter from that actual rhubarb. So yeah, the point is, is that you can use things of meaning from your backyard or from others that you've sourced it and really take beer to the whole next level. So how do we keep up with your geocache things? <laughs> so, yeah, I and the key is, is I put it on Instagram when I have hidden one. Um, well, Homebrewers Association is you follow us at Homebrew Associ on all the major platforms. We have hundreds of thousands of followers. Immediately, you'll be connected into an amazing community. And then my own channel where I have, you, know, you follow my beery adventures is at Immaculate Fermentation. Oh, that's great. Um, wow, back to the you know, finding ingredients for, for brewing. Years ago, two brothers in Maine wrote a book called The Home Brewer's Garden. And yes. I loved it. I can't think of their name. But um, I, I went, one time we were on with another brewer and he had the, that book on his shelf. Um, it, it seems like that, that, that was is the same, you know, it, it's, it strikes a chord like your sacred and, he, and herbal book. Um, do, do you guys have, what are the books that you have, uh, for homebrewers? Uh, and, and you got, you got to keep telling me the, the, the link because, um, I didn't realize you had so many books available. 
Well, homebrewersassociation.org is our main website. Brewers Publications is our publishing arm. I mentioned Sacred Herbal and Healing Beers. Uh, you, from 60 plus titles, have so much to choose from. You've got everything from the Brewing Classic Styles books, which covers everything from lagers to stouts uh, to any type of style of beer. We've tapped the, the preeminent world's experts and had them offer ama author amazing resources and books on them. We've got John Palmer on How to Brew, one of the preeminent beers that uh, uh, beer books that's out there that's taught uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies of this book has been sold. How to Brew is what one absolute must have in your brewing library. And I think just like any um, enthusiast, we should say that our libraries, whether you go digital form or printed, um, I prefer printed because you can mark it up, make notes, put stickies and pages, but we sell them in both versions. Uh, you want to enhance your brew library, right? One of my favorite things when I brew in people's homes is to take a picture of their beer library. And more often than not, uh, many of the brewer's publications books are, are in there. So I would say get the base brewing classic, classic style books. Definitely have How to um, Brew by John Palmer. Um, and, and then, you know, lots of other books that we haven't even published are out there. Charlie Papazian's uh, Complete Joy of Brewing is a mainstay and multiple iterations. I love Randy Mosier and Tasting Beer. Josh Bernstein from the New York area is the complete um, beer uh, course book. Lots of great, great resources out there. And books are one avenue to really enhance and up your brewing game. You know, and that's a great point. And over the years and on Beer Sessions Radio, we've interviewed and, and reviewed so many of these of the books of the last 12, 12 years. Um, it's kind of amazing. Um, one of my favorites, uh, there was a, recently a book about Pilsner. Um, there, there's just been so many good books. Um, but yeah, um, I want to thank you for coming. And, and I'm going to ask you a couple of deep questions right now because you're, Go I've ahead. got you here. Um, you know, this hobby, and I, I love that you call it a hobby because I think that, that people need hobbies. <laughs> I mean, really, a lot of people think that everything has to be connected to their career. But I'm amazed. I, I met some guys in Boston that are, they have a group called Postmodern Brewers, and, and they have all kinds of careers in finance, accountant, software people, but they really geek out. And I think geek is a, is a good word for home brewers. Um, do you want to, is there a typical home brewer? Because I don't, I, I know that's a, not true, but I want to, I want to pose that question to you. Sure. I would say that home brewers as a population is on a spectrum. Um, American Homebrewers Association, I mentioned that 30,000 plus membership that ship that we have, definitely skewed to more advanced and intermediate style brewers. Um, beginning brewers are harder to kind of document because we don't always know when they're purchasing online and this and that. But what we want to do, because it skews more towards one population, which is a certain age of, you know, cis white male, but that's similar and mirrors the demographics for beer drinkers, right? Uh, one of the things you asked earlier in the combo of what I've been working on is, is let's um, advance uh, the notion of homebrewing and invite everyone to the homebrew party. That means uh, really drilling down and, and bringing to light and featuring all walks of life, even underrepresented populations and uh, women identifying individuals that also brew and giving them a platform. So we're doing that through Zymergy Magazine. We're doing that through our Zymergy Live and webinars and website. And so I would say that, uh, you know, 
I want to remind everyone that no matter who you're learning from in any topic of your life, try to mix up who you are exposed to. And we on the AHA side are also working to do that to bring you leaders from all areas and all walks of life, because there's not just one person that should brew beer or enjoy beer. So why not make the population that does both more diverse? Yeah. When, when you talk about, you know, doing a patio brew or, or, or being in a farmhouse and in and, and that process, I understand. I think when you think craft beer, you, you, you think, you think guys. Um, but I, I, I can see it being some, something different. You know, I, I've, I, I know a woman that, that was in Caribbean American in, in Brooklyn who had a, a brew shop and she was making uh, some traditional fruit, you know, fruit fermented drinks. And you, you kind of think about how do you get people sitting around brewing as like a social circle? You know, um, is that is that really what your, your goal would be? Is that is that what the Bruins are? Um I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I'm. Where I'm, I'm agreeing with you, and and I, and I can just imagine people sitting around, sitting around brewing, and it doesn't have to be an all macho thing either. Right, and le- I mean, let me try to articulate what you're after because I agree with it, and that's why it's an area of focus for us. Um, we want to provide the American Homebrewers Association reason and rewards for brewing, and we want to do that to as many people as possible because the best comes from the decisions contributed to, the participation by, from the broadest amount of people. I mean, research backs this, that companies and organizations um, often have better sales, better results, better satisfied customers, the more diverse that they are. There's literally data to back that. And so I would say that any hobby and representative group also would benefit from the broadest amount of people. Then we're getting the broadest amount of cultural influence from many different walks of life. And that is, to me, very powerful. We want homebrewing to learn from all the opportunities that our you know, hobbyists have been exposed to in their day-to-day lives. And by doing that, we'll have more great beers to try and many more fermented beverages that we've never heard of that then we start to want to brew and drink as well. Yeah, no, you, you, when you say the joy of of brewing the joy of home brewing I, i'm picturing i've seen ads for the the nfl for example watching football games where there's a lot of diversity um and i and i know that in in the professional life you know careers there's definitely a push whether whether it's for more diversity in writing or or or, or workers or pink boots society um but yeah you're right i, have, I haven't seen pictures of of diverse people sitting around a, a, a big brew um, and, and hanging out and having a good time doing it. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's part of your uh, upcoming strategy. Well, it's not a strategy as much as now really becoming part of the DNA. If you follow Zymergy magazine and work your way through the imagery and the authors, you're seeing a much broader walk of life. And, and some of that has to do with concerted effort. And some of that just organically has to do with the fact that there are more people out there that are using their voice that maybe normally wouldn't have been tapped or felt confident enough to present themselves as authorities and experts in the first place. And I'll, I'll bring it all back to the big picture um, because beer has you know no gender or demographic. Uh, so appreciation and brewing shouldn't either. And 
I mean, to me, home is the place to be, right? Home is where your heart is, uh, your community is, your reward is. Think about a brew day. Imagine no matter what, who you are, don't script yourself as one type of brewer. You are a brewer if you want to be one. So imagine eradicating any barriers in your mind. And what's a brew day smell like at your house? How good is that? Enrichment, right? And your windows, imagine, maybe because you're brewing a stovetop while you're watching a movie, it getting a little steamy and foggy and wow. And, And then as the brew day progresses, what does it feel like once you actually have your beer fermenting and you wake up the next day and you look across the room and in a carboy, a little five gallon vessel or one gallon vessel that's glass, that's wrapped in your favorite t-shirt to keep it protected from light. You peek, you know, you peek into that glass under the t-shirt and you see fermentation. You smell through the top of that carboy in an airlock that allows gas to escape as yeast are fermenting and no contamination to come into the carboy. You smell that beer fermenting. And as you speak to your partner, that yeast and the, and the beer can hear you. And it literally listens to your rhythm of music. And so throughout the process, you are now seeing it, smelling it, and then you're caring for it when you bottle it or keg it or can it. And then you hand it to somebody and you crack open that beer or you have the hiss right from the tap and you literally see it fill the glass. And then you drink it with somebody that says, you not only just quenched my thirst, you filled my soul. That is homebrewing. And that's what homebrewersassociation.org and AHA brings you to the table to do and helps you become the best of it if you want to go that far. That's amazing. Thank you. And I want to give a shout out to my, my favorite homebrewers. It's a man and a woman, it's Zach of Virginia. And in their home, besides that, that, that they're cooking, they may have tapped, tapped their maple tree or spruce tree and, and they're doing something fun with, with that sap. Um, they're also homebrewers. And they've also made cider too. So, um, you know, the, 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 it's in all of us. And I, and I really w- was happy to talk to you about this. I don't, right now we're cut, all the shows are, we're usually a few weeks out, but we're going to rush and get this out uh, this week in time for November 4th, the Learn to Homebrew Day. And um, just want to thank you so, so much for what you've been doing, Julia. The last two years have been really exciting. I'm going to subscribe for Designergy because uh, once you get, find some panels on the cover, <laughs> you know, I, I, I got to get every issue now and see, see what you keep doing with it. So thank you so much. Thank you. And cheers to all the listeners. Happy brewing. And don't be shy to reach out. We hope you have excellent beer and fermentation fun. That's what it's all about. All right. Learn to homebrew day, November 4th, Jimmy Carboni. Big thanks to Julia Hurst for joining us. Thank you to Armin Spengen, our engineer. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time. Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.